0: Hello, friends. Okay, this episode is B.I.G. Big. If you followed our previous episodes, you know we're celebrating one year this month since coming out here on the air and attempting to demystify the world of audiovisual and lighting, revealing to you all everything that's to know related to event productions, behind the scenes, tricks of the trade, as well as insightful tips, strategies, tactics, and perspectives which hopefully have helped and will continue to do so to plan and produce successful events of all types, sizes, and formats in person, virtual, or hybrid. Why this episode is big is because I got two very special guests that I've known and worked with for more than a decade. Our history goes deep and wide in the world of events. I've worked with these two amazing guys as partners. I've worked for one of them as an employee years back. I mean, the fact that someone would still consider working with their boss after years says a lot about our work and professional relationship. Just in the last few years, I feel like we've been talking daily on the phone or via email and I still like them. I must say though, it did take a bit of effort to convince them to get on the air. Both of them are the most humble people you have ever going to meet and the definition of someone wanting and trying really hard to stay behind the scenes. We even joke internally about Brian being a total ninja. You can feel his presence, but you can't always see him. (laughs) Okay, I probably should just get to the point and introduce them so we can get straight into our virtual discussion about all things event productions, especially related to our current reality of virtual and hybrid events. Because my ultimate goal with this series of back-to-back episodes is to provide you with as much focus and clear information as possible as you're looking for different ways to transition your events to virtual in the coming weeks or months, all the while creating a successful virtual event experience for you, your audience, and online participants. Todd Campbell is the initial founder and now co-owner of the AV department, a full-service live event audiovisual company providing audiovisual and media services for a wide range of nonprofit organizations, government entities, educational institutions, and corporate clients located in Portland, Oregon. He's also the owner of Water Sign Studios, a professional audio recording studio that he's managed and operated since 2004. He's a graduate from University of Nevada, an excellent sound engineer with many years of hands-on experience of mixing monitors for many A-list entertainment acts. Brian Lehman, he's one of the other co-owners of the AV department, also the founding member and executive director of Portland Center for the Media Arts, a nonprofit organization that aims to provide affordable, high quality media production education and services to other nonprofit organizations, which now is an integrated part and division of the AV department. Brian is also the executive producer at Copter LLC, an aerial moving picture company that uses UAVs to capture aerial footage for both film, TV production, and environmental organizations. His video experience and expertise runs deep, starting in the video services department at Boeing Motion Picture and Television. What any of this might not tell you is that Brian is a man of many talents and the perfect definition of a solid entrepreneur. It is my greatest pleasure and honor to have both of them join us on the air today to discuss all things virtual events from a full service production house standpoint. Todd and Brian, a warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for carving precious time out of your busy schedules to be here and sharing your experience from a event production standpoint that's been doing live events in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, for over 20 years, 30 years, I lost count.
1: Well, now 30 years is a bit of a stretch. Our company has been as it is now since 2015.
0: But as combined experience, I feel like it's been there for many years, more than I can count. Oh, that's
1: great. (laughs) Yes, we do have about 40 years of combined experience.
0: There you go. I wasn't really stretching too far there. Now, we know that webcasting has been around in uh, live events for years. Going virtual was not really a new reality for many production houses, as people might think. However, extraordinary times have called for extraordinary measures, especially in the reality of crowd restrictions and the complete decline of live in-person events over the last few months. With that in mind, how would you say the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted your business and the way you used to do events in the not-so-long-ago past?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I get that a lot. People ask how I was able to pivot our company, and I often give the same response that we didn't pivot, our clients and partners did. We have actually been offering this service since 2017 and deploying it on a a pretty regular basis. So for us, it just meant going to more live streaming and less live events.
0: Now, in this transition, although it wasn't fully a 100% transition like you mentioned, what has been for you one of the main struggles when transitioning from 100% doing in-person with a webcasting element to the reality of working with a skeleton crew producing solely virtual events at first 100% virtual and now with some in-studio presence?
1: We actually started with the in-studio presence and went to 100% virtual as the governor's orders changed Mm -hmm. over time. The first thing that happened was clients got nervous. We weren't necessarily under an executive order of any kind. People were concerned for other people. So we transitioned to either an on location or an in-studio event. It was a little bit later that the governor, Governor Brown decided that we needed a stay at home order, which time we had to go 100% virtual. The biggest challenge, I would say, was discovering a platform to use to get people in real time without degrading the broadcast quality.
2: hmm and I would add to that, that another challenge was that the preparation level of the client differed. So when dealing with a regular event, you know, you have a lot of experienced meeting planners and they're creating their run of shows and, and, you know, doing all those processes that make that event go great, but mm-hmm. they were confronted with a virtual event. They weren't sure how to handle it. And so we were running people through how to make scripts for television mm-hmm. and um, help them understand that they were making a TV show and not a, a front of room ballroom event it has actually taken quite a bit of time.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, you're basically writing the manual just as the client was for them in this new reality.
2: Right. And, you know, some were able to adapt better than others more because they had more resources. So if it was a larger organization, they had more people who were available to think about it. But if it was a small organization, they would normally have help from catering. They'd had help from AV, they'd have help from all these different places. And now they're just like, I have to create a TV show in three weeks.
0: Yeah, that's actually the good scenario, because many times it was less than that.
2: (laughs) Our first one of these was done within 24 hours.
0: Yes, it was short turnaround and jumping in the waters in leap of fate. Yep. Now, based on current analytics, what would you say would be the platforms that have worked the best in your experience for live webcasting of some of the events that you've produced so far?
2: Well, I find that it's not so much about the software and things like that. I mean, that's all important. I think it's about who the viewers, what they're using. So, mm-hmm. you know, using the social media platforms like YouTube Live or Vimeo, that's usually better just because the viewer is more comfortable. So you're going to actually going to have less problem from the actual watching part. hmm. In terms of what we like to interface with in the studio, you know, we're using our own platform and then we can just send it out to wherever the client wants. Right. So we're choosing our own world in which to live in, our own bubble, Mm -hmm. sending it out. So we're okay with any number of options
1: of sending it out. I mean, obviously YouTube has been around the longest, so they've had the most opportunity to solve their own problems. Yeah. Created a very, very stable place for us to go and everyone else. Right, And it only does one thing and that is video.
0: And especially with so many people being at home, having most of them smart TVs, it's so easy to just pull it up on your TV as an app and just be immersed in the virtual event experience.
2: So it's better than having to reinvent the wheel, right? So it's just making sure the audience is comfortable with how they're viewing it. And, you know, we have our own backend, so we're doing our own
1: thing. Right.
0: Now, when should live webcasting of an event not be an option?
1: I would say the only thing that would keep me from broadcasting anything would be some sort of violent, racist, or derogatory type material.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really comes down to content.
1: You know, we live in a, an a media
2: world where, you know, everything is broadcast. So it's all about the content. In terms of functionality, you wouldn't want to, if someone's still trying to do the traditional auction where the auctioneer is gonna go up there and literally do calls. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not really the right forum right now because of the delay of a broadcast. And so we find groups wanting to try to adapt Zoom or other video conferencing platforms to that role. And that's just not what they're designed for. And so that will lead to disaster
0: yeah another example that i heard from a event planner is maybe if you as an organization want to do something super simple like i don't know trivia game or some sort of a just a platform where you have silent auction a mobile bidding but it doesn't require the element of having a live fundraiser that probably would be another reason why webcasting should not be an option for you
2: Right. The reason why we prefer a broadcast to begin with is that it's going to be an HD quality and you know, you want a good product, all those other elements, the only way you can do it is through video conferencing style products. And it's just not as conducive, not only to happening in studio, but for the viewer, I'm sure there'll be products in the future that will combine the two.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Again, we're, we're living in a new normal, right? There's no doubt that someone's gonna figure this out. But to me, it's all about the quality and getting the message out. Cause it's not just about if you're an auction about raising money or something. It's about how you're branding and how you're interacting with your audience who's not just your supporters now, but your supporters in the future.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, it's also fundraising. I mean, Mm -hmm. if the funds stop, the work stops and we, we have to find a way to keep the work going that these nonprofits are doing. It's needed more than ever.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, what are some best practices when it comes to limiting the risk involved with live streaming the day of the event that you've built and created around this new reality?
1: Pre-record, pre-record, (laughs) pre-record.
2: Yes, the more you can pre-record in general, the better it'll be because you're dealing with inexperienced talent who's not used to doing a television program. So if you give them the benefit of just recording them in advance, You can still have some live elements, of course, but you're not under the gun for every moment to be live with talent that's not used to doing it that way.
0: Absolutely. So in that regard, what is the best way to combine this pre-recorded media in a way that's authentic with live video to maintain an online audience, pretty short attention span, as we know?
2: I think all the branding elements should be pre-recorded. These are all the messages that are going direct to the audience. Just like you would do an appeal video, right, at an event or something. Like they're they're taking two minutes, two to three minutes to give a real concentrated message. And so you would do the same on a live event. Anytime that executive director gets up there, there's no reason for that to be live, that can simply be recorded and delivered efficiently to the audience. So that way you can move on to the interactive stuff where the auctioneer or whatever starts the raising the money part. So to me, it's about the branding moments that would go be recorded.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. The lasting moments. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Excellent. So, for any nonprofit and for profit organizations out there, what would be the advice that you'd give? Why would they want to work with an event production company when transitioning to a virtual event?
1: Well, combining all of these elements into a seamless stream is relatively complicated and requires pretty expensive technology to do it well. I would say a lot of nonprofits don't have access to that kind of technology in their office, per se. They might have been doing some short YouTube live or Facebook live videos of 5k they threw as a fundraiser or something like that, but you're talking two and three minute snippets. Now we're talking about a 30 to 60 minute live broadcast that never stops. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that.
2: On top of that, you have the sense that right now these Fundraisers, I mean, they're pretty vital to these organizations. And so it's not the place to skimp on the professionalism, right? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: why wouldn't you hire and work with and really just partner with a group that's professional? They're giving you a product that's so vital to get out there to their client because they have to raise that money. And not only that, they're setting up their next fundraiser too, showing that their organization's still relevant and vital, even in these times. So that, to me, that's the primary reason why you would want to work with a professional company
0: mm-hmm.
2: rather than just try to do it yourself. Although there are certain scenarios where that would work just fine.
0: Sure. Yeah.
2: It's reality. You know, and everyone has a different donor base and, and that sort of thing.
1: Also, it's our job to take the technology out of people's hands so they can focus on their message and on their broadcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's yes. another primary reason. Somebody's got their stuff together who can do that
0: exactly it's like if that's not what you do for a living taking that pressure off actually relieves you to focus on the things that matter the things that you can make an impact
2: right and it really translates well too because when you go and have a gala you're going into a ballroom you have a professional catering staff that's handling all of that you have av people are handling all that And now you're just focusing on your run of show and and your program. And that's exactly what we're doing for them when it goes virtual. We're just taking the technical side away and they just do what they do, which is promote their, their nonprofit or their company or whatever.
0: Yes. Now that we kind of got comfortable in this virtual space with virtual events, we're also looking at the future, what the future might look like for events. And I know that a lot of event professionals in the event industry are looking at hybrid events as being the future for events in general. How do you see in the near future, 2021, how do you see that implemented from an event production company's point of view?
1: Well, I think we're going to obviously need to be flexible in creating these hybrid events because we're going to have executive directors. We're going to have a a myriad of people who are not going to be comfortable going out into the world. So we need to, one, bring the event to them. But also, in some cases, we're going to need to have the ability to bring them to the event. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, an executive director from a particular group may choose to give their keynote virtually, but live in the room and on the stream at the same time. We're geared up for that. We're ready to go. And so it's just, that's a reality we're going to have to see where it goes.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. wait C mode on that. Cause there's also just a financial reality. If you're going through all the AV in the room, which has its own cost, and then you're also going through the stream, which has its own cost, you know, Does that make it unviable for a lot of groups because they're essentially paying for now two services simultaneously and they have to now plan for two as well. They don't always have the resources for that To Right. But I will say that broadcasting a live event is very different than a studio event and so we're definitely utilizing the content that's already created for stage being able to do multiple camera shoots and whatnot. But I think there's going to be a lot of creative ways it's going to be done. And I don't think anybody's really figured it out yet. Mm-mm. The ballrooms are not open yet. So <laughs> you know, we actually do events and see what works. And once we figure that out, then the new normal will become that. It's just, we're just not sure what that is yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely touch a little bit on the format of what that might look like. And at this point, it's like you said, it's a little bit in the air. It's not necessarily all figured out. And many people have many ideas, but have to see if that actually works in the new reality of hybrid events that we were talking about.
2: Yeah. And it's not just functional, it's financial too. It's like, it's figuring out how to pay for it because you're still trying to reach the same amount of people you are reaching. Mm -hmm. But if they're not in the room, how are you doing that? And so at some point, maybe having the, in the room won't last for a while, like maybe control for a couple of years. I don't know. I think people are ready to have real events again, but you never know. We've definitely had a few clients. Like, I wonder if we can do this every time because the stream was so successful. Right. And they're wondering, can this be the future? And I don't I don't know that it necessarily is because it's going to take a while for people to get used to donating from their living room.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's all very, very subjective. A lot of folks, the donor base and not, go to these galas to socialize. Yep. One friend of mine says he, you know, he goes to 12 galas a year and donates at most of them. But at many of these events, it's the only time he may see this friend or that friend each right. year. That is true. And so... He's really wanting to get back in.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. For people that are outgoing and relational, this, it's been pretty hard staying behind a screen and trying to interact and engage when you just want to shake hands. Yes. Yep. In terms of industry trends, what are you watching out for at the moment?
2: Well, I think, I don't know if I'm particularly watching. I'm more waiting.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I think there's going to be some new, especially in the nonprofit world and auctions and galas, there's going to be different platforms that are traditionally are used for like auction stuff. So to be able to house auctions, you know, your thermometer and all this stuff. And there's a few vendors out there that do that but I just think they're going to be adding this simultaneous video option to it because I think they see streaming as something that's going to be part of the new normal and they're going to want to offer it. And so I'm just waiting to see what that looks like and if they can make the quality decent, because I have a feeling we're going to be constrained by it. Yeah. Whatever they do, it's like, it's going to affect us quite a bit.
1: Well, and that codec hasn't been written yet. So
2: <laughs> no, so there's somebody out there doing it and there's a few platforms that have done it, but it it looks like a zoom call, which is, you know, for in our opinion, not satisfactory, but from a client's perspective, it may be like, we may not have any choice on that. So that's, to me, that's a trend that's going to happen. It's like, these platforms are going to have to evolve.
1: Yeah. And I think they're going to have to get more interactive. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised last night. First time I used my fire TV to watch the auction we did and YouTube app, let me turn on the chat on my TV. I'm sure it's been there for a while, but
2: (laughs) those sort of experiences, like I'm looking at it from a tech perspective, but there is the user experience. Yeah. That's the trend really, right? Moving this stuff to your normal living room television and getting off of a perceived computer. So that way when you're viewing it, you're having an experience.
0: Absolutely. Well, this was a really good material and conversation that it could just be going on and on because there's so much to be talked about when it comes to this new reality that we're all living and facing. For people that are interested to find out more about the AV department services and the type of work that you guys do, where do they find you online?
1: www.theavdept.com
0: And on social media?
1: We are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search our name, I believe. Right.
0: There's actually some amazing content uh, in the form of a blog for anyone that wants to learn more about virtual events and the technology behind it that is on the website. So definitely should uh, look that up. Well, thank you so much, Todd. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for carving the time today to be on the air.
1: Thank you. You bet. Thanks.
0: Okay friends, this is it for today's episode. I mean, that was a lot of good information, wasn't it? Thank you so much for listening to the very end. Leave us a message or a comment if you found any of this helpful and in which way. We would love to hear from you. Also, what else you are doing as far as events and your business goes. Especially if you have new ideas that we haven't covered yet, please do tell us. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us via email podcast at TrifunEvents.com or via our Instagram account messaging us directly at trifan underscore events stay safe and healthy until next time which is gonna be next week with another feature guest so make sure that you put that in your calendar